pray with me. Father, you are a good father, and uh, you, you call uh, us to call on you as Abba, Daddy, Papa, your children made whole and uh, renewed by the blood of your son. Lord, we ask tonight that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Only you can make the word that you inspired come alive and, and let it be what it needs to be for each and every individual in this room tonight, myself included. We love you, Jesus. We honor your presence here tonight and we ask you to glorify your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm happy to see you all here tonight. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, would that your tribe increase. Um, our culture knows the need for healing, recognizes the need for healing. I was um, fascinated to find a documentary on Netflix a few weeks ago, um, and I, I noticed it because it was called Healed. And it was a documentary, um, and it wasn't about Jesus. <laughs> it was a documentary actually about the increasing interest in New Age spirituality for healing. Uh, so mind over matter stuff, uh, Reiki healing, uh, different forms of meditation and things like that. And um, as Christians, we need to pay attention to this kind of phenomenon uh, because people are going and looking for healing and through pathways like this because they're not finding it in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, and that, that I'm passionate about that, and that breaks my heart a little bit. We know that uh, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about... Uh, He's talking to new believers who are trying to figure out uh, what to do about mingling with their pagan friends who have pagan services and, and, and offer uh, meat and, and make sacrifices to pagan gods. And Paul says that what unbelievers offer to so-called gods is actually a participation with demons. So what he's saying is that connecting with the spiritual realm apart from Jesus Christ can actually get you into some dangerous territory because you might be opening yourself up to some rather unpleasant things. And so... It's so important for the church of Jesus Christ to stand in this gap and actually say, we know a healer, and his name is Jesus. Now, what is the church to do about this? I was a Christian for 10 years. For 10 years, I visited dozens of churches, and I never saw, I never saw anyone praying for healing, at least with faith that it would actually happen. Now, I'll tell you, I saw some of this. I saw the priest get the book out and anoint oil and say, Dear Lord Jesus Christ, and Dada, you know, read from the book. No expectations of God to actually do anything. For 10 years, I never saw it. And then I went to uh, an event, a stadium event in February, and I saw a healing evangelist actually praying for people from the stage and with a stadium full of 50,000 people and then declaring healing in the name of Jesus and then saw people jumping up and down and screaming because they had been healed. It was amazing, and I thought, I need to start paying attention to this stuff. And when I started to look, I discovered that the healing ministry of Jesus Christ is indeed active and alive in the world today. So I want to talk tonight about the healing ministry of Jesus and what that means for people who actually call themselves his followers. <clears throat> the place I want to start actually is a passage from the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. This comes from ch uh, chapter 35. Now Isaiah lived and uh, prophesied about 600 years, give or take 100 years, uh, before Jesus ever walked the earth. 
and Isaiah was prophesying about a new era that was going to come, an era of restoration um, and redemption when God would actually visit his people, the Israelites, and actually restore things because it was pretty messed up at the time that Isaiah was prophesying. And here's what Isaiah chapter 35 says. Listen, listen really closely to this. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. He says, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Then he says this, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. These things would be the signs that God was visiting his people. Now think about that. Part, a key part of Israel's God's plan for the restoration of his people would involve the healing of bodies, blind eyes, deaf ears, Mute tongues, the lame would walk and leap like deer. That's pretty amazing that healing has been a part of God's plan for, for, for the, forever. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast forward to the New Testament to Luke chapter 7. Now, of course, the expectations that God would visit his people also went along hand in hand with expectations that there would be a Messiah and who would come and restore Israel, God's anointed one who would come to, to bring restoration to Israel and to the rest of the world. So Luke chapter 7, we fast forward about 600 years, and Jesus has been baptized and been filled with the Holy Spirit and is now out doing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's this great story in chapter 7. I'm not going to read it word for word. Um, but there's a funeral going on, and it's a widow who's lost her only son. Think about that. A woman who's lost everything. She doesn't have anyone else left. But guess who's hanging out around the funeral procession? Jesus. Don't you hope Jesus is hanging out around your funeral procession? <laughs> um, as has been said, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever attended, including his own. <laughs> um, and the procession is going, and the pallbearers are carrying in the coffin, and this is what we read about Jesus. And when the Lord saw her, the widow, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the coffin, and the pallbearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he got up out of the coffin. What a sight. What a sight to see. Now, this is how the people who are gathered there, and there are many, this is how they respond. They say this, it says, Then fear came over everyone, or you could read that as awe. Then awe came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Now listen to this. You tracking with me so far? Okay. Now, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the great prophet, the forerunner of the Christ, he gets word of this, this, this healing ministry, this ministry of raising of the dead. He gets word that this is what Jesus is doing, and he starts to scratch his head a little bit because John is thinking back to the Old Testament prophecies that when Messiah comes, there would be judgment against the enemies of God, which is true. But John had forgotten that there were other parts of the, the new era 
of when God would visit his people, that there would be healing and restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation. And so listen to what happens. John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. Are you the one to come or should we expect another? John, who had gone through all this, had baptized Jesus and everything, was actually doubting, wondering, what's up with this? John was like, come on, where's the fire and the judgment against our enemies? What's going on? And so Jesus actually has to remind John that, yes, Lord, yes, we're doing the worship night. I know you're here. All right. Tell Holy Spirit I said hi. Okay. He's here. Um, that's a little shtick I do when phones ring. Just try to make the person feel better for forgetting to turn it off. Um, so John, so Jesus hears John's disciples saying, are you the one to come? And John and Jesus this is, what we, this is what we read. This is how Jesus responds to John's request. Luke tells us this. In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered John's disciples, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Do any of those words sound familiar? The blind see, the deaf hear. Jesus is quoting from a few different passages in Isaiah to, 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 um, to tell you the truth, but he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 35. He's saying, go tell John, remind John that when the age of restoration and Messiah comes, there's actually going to be healing of bodies and raising of the dead and lepers are going to get cleansed. You see, this is what we learn from the life and ministry of Jesus, that, that what God is doing through Israel's Messiah for Israel healing, restoring, forgiving, renewing is what he wants to do for the entire world. You see, the ministry of healing, it, it cannot be disconnected from the overarching story of God's redemptive purposes for the entire world. And when a sick body is healed, what happens is that it's a sign of the inbreaking kingdom of God, that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ and is now winning back people's hearts and lives and restoring them to health, to wholeness, to salvation, and to one another. You see, there's a greater picture at work here. See, I have a concern that in some circles where healing is celebrated in the name of Jesus, it's not always getting connected to the message of the kingdom and the overarching message of the gospel. You see, if you pray for someone in public and they get healed of an injury or something, please don't just say, Jesus loves you, have a nice day. You've just got, God has just opened up. What God has done is said, I've just shown them that I'm real. Now introduce them to me. It's an opportunity to say, you know what the greatest act of love is, is that, that Jesus, he, he, he died for you. He, he died to cleanse your record from all of your sin, everything you've ever done. doesn't matter how bad it is. He's died to give you a new life. And he wants to know you and bring you into relationship with your creator, with your heavenly father. Now, um, 38, almost 40% of the, my, my congregation hears me say this statistic all the time, but about 40% of the narrative of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about 40% is Jesus healing people and casting out demons. Think about that. Do you think that the ministry of healing matters to Jesus' heart? 
it wasn't a small peripheral thing that he did on occasion to like prove he was God. He wasn't like, hey, I'm God, watch what I can do. It was actually a part of the ministry of the kingdom of God where when it comes in all of its fullness in the life to come, there will be no weeping or crying or pain or sorrow or disease or death. And Jesus was demonstrating that kingdom and the reality of it and pointing to God and the reality of who he was, his goodness, his love, his desire to restore people to himself and to make them whole. You read through the Gospels and you keep, I, you just, you keep reading things like this. He healed them all. And he healed all their sick. He drove out many demons and healed all who were sick with disease. He healed them all. He healed them all. All that were brought to him were healed. It's incredible. He never said, sorry, today I just, um, you know, God wants you to bear this cross for a while longer. He never said, you know what? You're not good enough. It was grace, grace, grace. He healed them all. He healed them all. He set people free. It's who he is. It's what he does. Now, here's the exciting news for you and for me. He commissions us to partake in this ministry. Now I know some people say, well, there, Paul lists uh, healing as a spiritual gift, and obviously not everybody has it. That's true. Some people have a special anointing of healing on their life. But all Christians, I believe, are prayed, are called to pray for the sick. Now I'm going to try to prove it. Here's my proof text. Luke chapter 10. Jesus has already sent out his 12, okay, his ordained guys, his presbyters, whatever you want to call them, his apostles. Now he turns to 72 others, okay? That's the rest of us. And he sends them out. And he says this, when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Oh, Jesus, I like this. Then he says this, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. See, he never separates the ministry of healing from the greater message that the kingdom of God is here to restore people to their heavenly father and to renew all things. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 16, he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. Say, those who believe. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just starting to believe this. I just, I don't have a great, deep, profound theology of healing anymore. I've read a million books and watched a million talks and gone to conferences. This is my theology of healing. What he says is true. He says to his disciples in John chapter 14, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, he didn't say the apostles of the first century only, will also do the works that I do. In fact, he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he says to his disciples, and you all know this one, he says, go make disciples. And teach them everything I have commanded you, right? He says, go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Now, we think, what did he command us? Well, there's the stuff about loving our enemies, uh, forgiving them, praying for those who persecute us, money stuff, lust stuff. We, we, We know all those things. But remember, a part of what he commanded us to do was to heal the sick. To heal the sick. Because it would be one of the 
primary ways that the message of the kingdom would get advanced throughout the world. Now, let me say a word about uh, the early church because, you know, there are these folks out there, God bless them, who believe, they're Christians, who believe that the healing ministry was only for the apostles in the first century. And I think uh, that's an erroneous way of thinking, to say the least. But, nonetheless... Uh, Ramsey McMullen, who uh, was a longtime professor of history and classics at Yale University, says that in his research, he discovered that the primary reason that most people, which is a lot of people, that converted to Christianity in the first four centuries of the church was due to the witnessing of signs, wonders, and miracles, like healing. Most people, if you look at the statistics of how historic, how many people uh, became Christians in the first four centuries, um, of the millennium, it's a lot of people. Now, um, let me read you something even more fun. This is from a bishop of uh, the second century, Irenaeus. He lived from about 115 to 200 AD, roughly. And here's what he saw as a bishop and pastor of different church communities. He says this, those who are truly the Lord's disciples perform miracles in the name in his name for the well-being of others, according to the gift that each one has received from him. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently believe and join the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophecies. Still others heal the sick by laying their hands on them and they are made whole. Yes, moreover, the dead have even been raised up and remained among us for many years. Okay, so there's second century, all right? So already we got to do away with this belief that all this stuff died out in the first century. And there's lots more from, you know, following centuries. Um, Today in the present day, uh, Christian philosopher J.P. Moreland from uh, Biola University, he states that globally approximately 70% of people who become Christians, and granted many of these people are in the global south, 70% of people converting to Christianity today is due to witnessing miracles like healing and deliverance from demons. That's incredible. 70%. Um, I was at our diocesan clergy conference the first three days of this week. And a couple of the priests always um, who are into statistics and things like that, they always do what we call the sheet of shame. And it's the church statistics from the last year. Um, the Diocese of Central Florida, which is actually one of the only growing Episcopal dioceses in the United States, in 2018 lost 900 people from all of the 88 churches overall. I mean, very few of the churches were in the blue, which means you've been increasing every year for the last few years. Almost everybody was in the orange, and you don't want to be in the orange. It means there's just been a a decline over the last few years. And it broke my heart, but I know why it is. I I feel like I know why it is. It's because so many of us Christians are not doing ministry in the power of God. We go to church, we sing some songs, we try to live good, upright, moral lives, but we're missing this one thing, this one thing. Now, I'm not trying to convert anybody to Pentecostalism. I want everybody to become an Episcopalian. But if you look at the statistics of Pentecostal Christianity, and if you're Pentecostal, God bless you. We're glad you're here with us tonight. Um, but if you look at the statistics of Pentecostalism, people who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders and all of that crazy casting out demon stuff, 
It's enormous. There are like 35,000 people every day are becoming Pentecostal and converting to Christ just in the U.S. And the statistics over the course of the 20th century since the Pentecostal movement began has, has basically a quarter of the world's Christian population are Pentecostal. Now, I'm not saying that that means because Pentecostals have good doctrine. What I'm saying is that they believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and they live it out. Would that we all learn from them. I have this great term. It's Episcopal. It's what I'm claiming. It's what I'm claiming. Uh, I was the other day sitting and thinking through the different healings that we've seen at Good Shepherd just in the last eight months or so. Um, and I, I lost count. I couldn't think of all of them. Um, when I sat down and tried to start scratching them down on paper, it's both here at Good Shepherd and other places I've seen. I, I lose count when I start thinking about it. I've seen uh, foot pain healed in a number of different ways. Uh, I've seen shoulder movement healed, fractured toes healed, vision problems healed. The list goes on and on and on from small things to more dramatic things. But now that I'm looking for it and I'm actually pursuing this stuff for myself, I see it more and more and more all of the time. One of the reasons that we're doing these services on uh, monthly on Thursday nights is that we want to be a place that honors the Lord Jesus Christ and to do all that he commanded us to do. Um, getting into the ministry of healing and really pursuing it, it's risky it's, um, it's emotionally taxing. Not everybody you pray for gets healed, if you, if you have noticed. Uh, I, I, I am, a lot of us are wearing eyeglasses in the room, right? <laughs> Not everybody gets healed every time we pray, and so it can be emotionally taxing. But God honors those who are diligently pursuing to live out his word. And the deeper we press into it, the more he will honor that and the more we will see. I think that's been true for many of us who have actually seen that over the last six to eight months. Now, lastly, as I mentioned, the healing of the sick is a sign that God's kingdom is near. This is largely about demonstrating to the lost, to unbelievers, that there is a God who loves them, cares about them, and wants to save them. Healing is just one piece of that. You see, the ultimate sign of the love of God was when Jesus poured out his blood on the cross for sinners. To reconcile them to God. To restore them to his presence that we lost because of our rebellion. You see, healing, I believe, is it's a part of the gospel. Healing itself, I believe, is a part of the gospel. But it also leads people to the only Savior who can forgive their sins and bring them to God. Professor Craig Keener, um, after researching miracle signs and wonders for years before writing his two-volume scholarly work on the subject, it's entitled Miracles, um, notes that miraculous healings seem most prevalent in his research in evangelistic contexts where many people are gathered and that the gospel is getting preached. As if, he says, God wants to display his lavish love to those who do not yet know him. My hope is that the healings that happen in services like this, and these sorts of things are happening all over Orlando, is that 
when we see that, it will not just make us want to invite people to come and be in these four walls once a month to feel good and to see some healings. Of course we want that, and of course we want to come here and worship. But my hope and my prayer and my passion is is that what it will do is it will ignite a fire in our hearts to actually go and take the healing ministry out there so we can proclaim the gospel on the streets where people are dying, people are sick, people are broken, they're wounded by poverty, by abuse, they're tormented by evil spirits, and we are called to be the people who go out there and say, there is hope for you. There's healing for you. I'm going to tell you a quick story. This is how I'm going to end. <clears throat> I was eating um, Thai food at my favorite Thai place, which is appropriately called Thai place. <clears throat> Some of you have been there. Um, by myself the other day for lunch, and... Um, I always pray over my food and, and I ask God, you know, help me to see the people around me that, that, that need you or that I could minister to. And uh, sometimes I immediately regret <laughs> praying that because I just want to eat my food and get back to the office. And I looked up and I saw a young, uh, young lady, um, maybe in her 40s, and she was walking to her table like this very slowly and very cautiously. And um, I heard her say to the waitress, whew, I didn't know if I was going to make it all the way across the room. And um, so, of course... I'm thinking, all right, okay, well, she'll be fine. <laughs> I'm reading a book. I'm reading a spiritual book, Lord, and I'm trying to get some work done, and I'm trying to eat really fast. But I could not deny the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, go pray for her. So finally, you know, her, her, you know I, I do this stuff all the time, but I still get nervous, and I still put too much trust in my, myself. And uh, finally, I got up, and I went over there, and I said, hey, I noticed that you you were having trouble getting to your table. Did you have an injury or something? And she said, yes, I dropped something really heavy on my foot and I fractured something or, or something like that. Um, and I said, I introduced myself and I said, I've been seeing God heal quite a few people at my church. And I was wondering if I could just pray and ask Jesus to heal your foot right now. And she was like, okay. She's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, you know, my father-in-law is a pastor and yeah, that'd be great. And so I prayed with her a very brief prayer. And I said, now, you should stand up and, and try it out, see how it feels. And uh, she said, you know, when you were praying, my foot started to feel really warm. And I was, I was touching her hand. Well, some of you know that that's a, that's a sign that there's some, maybe some healing going on. Someone experiences that sensation. So I said, get up and try it. And she got up and she was like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's better. She was kind of, you know, she was skeptical. And I said, well, if you felt God, if you felt heat in your foot, that means God's doing something. So let's pray again. And she was like, Okay, <laughs> so we're standing there in the middle of the restaurant, and so I prayed um, for her foot again, and she she very cautiously walked off, and I was like, mm, I, I think she's better, you know, and I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter, I'll never see her again. And um, about two or three minutes later, I looked up, and she was coming back from the parking lot. I could see through the glass doors of the restaurant. She was walking normally without a limp, and she came in, and she came all the way back to my table, and she said, um, first of all, I forgot to say thank you, and she said, second of all, um, I didn't even realize it until I got to my car that I'm not, I'm walking without a limp now. I said, it's him. It's him. It's not me. I just listened to his voice and got off my blessed assurance and went over there <laughs> and prayed for her. This isn't like, I'm not a rock star. You guys can do this stuff. I didn't give her some elaborate, eloquent, poetic prayer. I just asked Jesus to just to let his healing power flow into her body. Now, 
um, I want you to hear an even greater testimony. So would you share with us just really quick again? Do you mind, Eileen? What is cool is that God heals in a lot of different ways. And sometimes it's through prayer, laying on of hands, anointing with holy oil, multiple people praying, praying from a distance. Um, and sometimes he heals in other ways in his good sovereignty. So I want, to, I want you to hear the story. Some of you have heard it, but some of you here tonight have not heard it. And so I want you to hear it because I believe her testimony will build faith in this room for healing. Five-minute version again. <laughs> All right. I started with... Um, a hospitalization, I caught a MRSA. I don't know if all of you know what a MRSA is. It's an antibiotic-resistant infection, and they're rampant in hospitals, and that's where we often catch them. And antibiotic-resistant sounds not pleasant, not the worst thing in the world. It kills you. It kills you. Mm -hmm. Antibiotic resistance means none of the medicine we have right now will kill it. So I went along with this thing for about five years. This, This spring, it was five years. And three different doctors treated it, and I did lots and lots of research. And the antibiotics quit being effective. And by June of this year, I was taking two antibiotics, two different really big-time antibiotics, three times a day. And that wasn't holding it off. And, you know, it sounds stupid. You know, a skin disease is going to kill you. But... I had come to the conclusion that that's exactly what was going to happen because I'd done the research and I knew the next step was it was going to go to the bone, from the blood to the bones, and then you're done. So I had kind of started getting things in order and, of course, not saying anything to anybody because I'm an old Episcopalian woman. We we write thank you notes. We don't talk about this kind of stuff. We don't talk about unpleasant things. And so Father Cameron did his initial Episcopal, <laughs> whatever it was, did a big teaching a couple of weeks before Pentecost about healing. And yes, Episcopalians can get healed. And he went on and on and on like he did tonight, which I wish he would do at least once a month. Because it isn't a message that people like us had growing up in this church. And he went on so convincingly, and he had planned this healing service here for the 7th. And was the first healing service in his ministry here at Good Shepherd. And he was getting excited about it. And he had gone on so convincingly that for a moment... For this much, I thought, maybe, maybe I could get a healing. Maybe I better come to that service. And when I thought that, I just felt a huge relief. I felt like I had some help in this thing that I had been bearing by myself. And so when I walked out, I 
said, thank you, today was for me, and I don't think he knew what I was talking about. Well, the internist who had been treating me had sent me to an infectious disease specialist. He said, I'm not really able to do anything more, but this practice has been there for 20 years. They are remarkable, and they can hospitalize you and experiment with some IV new drugs, new antibiotics. Might get someplace. I'm going to send you up there and see. So I had gone up there um, before this service, and I had talked to the woman. I really liked her, really, really, really liked and respected her and what she was about. And she said, I want to get all your records for the last five years. I can get a lot of your tests through the hospital, but I want you to go to these two doctors that you dealt with because they're not part of Advent system, so you'll need to go and pick up your records and bring them, and I did all that. And I had had this initial visit. She said, in addition to that, I want you to get these three more blood tests. I'd already had so many, but I said, oh, okay. And then I hear this message that maybe when we have our healing service, I might get some help. And so I went back to her. I had gone and got my blood test. Went back to her and was waiting in the little room. And she comes in with her arms full of folders and her computer and everything. And I mean, she had everything about my life for the last five years. Put it down on the counter, sat down, and she said, well, I have been over everything. I have gone over every test, been through everything about you these last five years, and I have the results of these tests that you did last week. And she said, I can tell you with complete certainty that there is nothing wrong with you. She said, she said, your, your white count isn't just within normal, it's perfectly in the middle of normal. You have no infection. She said, I don't know what is going on or what has been going on, but you are completely free of any kind of infection. And I want you to come back in a couple of months, three months, but I don't want you to take any more medication. I want you to take some probiotics and get your gut rebuilt. And I don't want you on any more medication. Well, I didn't say anything. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I passed up such an opportunity. But I, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I believed that I might have some hope if I went to that healing service. <laughs> but I went home from the doctor just speechless. and say anything to anybody. And I called up Louise, who's been a prayer warrior for all her life. And I said, I don't, I really don't. And I told her the story and she started laughing. And she said, you don't have to wait until the healing service next week. You got your healing. <laughs> I said, do you think so? Is that it? And she said, yes. Go tell Father Cameron. 
<laughs> and that's what you did. <laughs> Thank you. 